This year will be different. This year will be different. This year will be different. This year, I need to eat less. You know what? I do solemnly swear that this year I will lose 10 pounds. Or at least five. Five is the magic number. That's how many times I want to visit my grandmother this year, which would be five more than last year. Learn to wait. I always want things instantly. I need patience. Now, this year, I'll be nicer to my parents. What, Mom? Get off my back. I just need peace in my life. I'm just so nervous all the time. I just, I'm twitching. Three kids. I'm a twitcher. I'm twitching. I twitch. I just can't seem to get my pits to stop sweating. Can you, can you see this? Look, when did I become the human leak? I mean, I know I've got some stress about my future and everything, but why can't I just be like everyone else and you conceal it? Okay, I'll just have to fake it till I make it. And I'll be better than I've ever been in my entire life. If I'm gonna make this year count, I have to do some things differently. It's too pay time. Make some goals this year. Just three, not 10. Stop judging people who aren't like me. Stop snapping at my kids. Dream. Character over image. Learn that I'm loved, but not entitled. God, did you forget about me? I'm here. Just show me what to do. Give me the strength to change. What am I saying? I, I don't even know if I want to change, God. I'm comfortable. I have a good life. I know. You want the best for me. So why don't I want the best for me? Starting tomorrow, using my gifts and talents... I'm going to live my life differently, God's way. I'm tired of keeping this great gift. A secret. Can I tell you a secret? I feel like I'm separated from something. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But whatever I need, it's bigger than this world can offer. I offer my life, God. That's something much more than what I can see. So please, God you just take this little bit of faith that I have? I just can't wait another year. Many of you knew that I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church, and what that means is uh, women could not wear pants, men couldn't have long hair or facial hair. Why? Because the pastor said so, and you were supposed to do whatever the pastor told you with no questions asked. It's kind of like they were playing the game Simon Says, only they substitute Jesus Says. So Jesus says women can't wear pants, and so you can't, be, Jesus, you can't argue with Jesus. Jesus says men can't have long hair or um, facial hair. Well, then if Jesus says you can't, you can't do that. And so whatever Jesus says, you're supposed to do because Jesus said it. Whatever Jesus says not to do, you're not supposed to do because Jesus said not to do it. And I grew up, I realized I was not very good at this game because I like to do what Doug says. And so um, I would go to youth camp every year. And at youth camp, I would get inspired 
inspired to come back and play the game Jesus says. And I was good at it for a while. And when I would come back, I'd be obsessed with doing what Jesus said to do. And if I was obsessed, I wanted you to be obsessed too. And I found out I was very judgmental of people who didn't play the game Jesus says. And so if I wasn't going to do something, I sure wanted you not to do something. If I was suffering for Jesus, I wanted you to suffer with me. Glory to God. You know, that type of deal. Um, well, I noticed as I got older and I look back at my life, I noticed that what a lot of people said that Jesus said, he didn't say. What I noticed was the pastor wanted me to do something, so he would say, Jesus says. Or my mom wanted me to do something, she would say, Jesus says. But Jesus didn't really say those things. So here's what I want you to think about. All the things you've heard that Jesus said, as we go through this series, it's going to be one of our longest series we've done in a while. Um, it's about an eight-week series um, of following Jesus. I want you to compare everything you've heard that Jesus says with what's actually in the scriptures. If it's there, then we need to do what he says. If it's not there, then, then we can probably blow that off because it's some man's opinion. So um, I wish that you could have a delete button because then it would free you up to understand. As we look at Jesus, as we, as we determine what it is to follow him, you're going to find out that Jesus came not so much to tell us something. His teaching is important, but that's not the main reason he came. He came to show us something. Let me show you where this comes from in John chapter 17. This is actually the Lord's prayer, not the model prayer um, in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, our Father who art in heaven. That's a model prayer. That's not the Lord's prayer. John chapter 17, Jesus is actually praying. And here's what he says. Father, you are the one who is good. The world does not know you, but I know you, and these people know you sent me. I showed them what you are like. His life revealed to us what God the Father Father is like. His teaching revealed to us what God the Father is like. I showed them what you are like, and I will show them again. Then they will have the same love for you, for me. Uh, they will have the same love that you have for me, and I will live in them. Jesus revealed that God wasn't so interested in rules. He's interested in relationship. And the reason I know that is because Jesus gave us three pictures of a relationship with God. First one, is father child. Jesus didn't reveal to us that, that God is like your father. Jesus revealed to us that God is the perfection of father. The perfect father loves us, encourages us, disciplines us, rebukes us, and cheers us on depending on how we act. Our maturity or immaturity determine how God, the perfect heavenly father, reacts to us. The second picture Jesus gave us was a vine and branch. Think about it. If, if a vine is separate, if, if, the, if the branch is separated from the vine, the vine provided, provides nourishment. It enables that branch to produce fruit. It holds the branch up. I have a burn pile behind my house, and, and on that burn pile, I've noticed a couple things. I've got some, some uh, sticks that have been there, some branches that have been there for a year. They're really, really dead and crispy. I've got some that have been there just about six months, and those are, those are less dead, but they're still dead. And I've got some that have been there just a few weeks that I piled on top. They have the appearance of a little bit of life, but they're just as dead. What I realized is any branch that's separated from the vine is dead, whether it's showing those signs or not. It's dead. It's not going to get what it needs. God said, Jesus said, a relationship with God the Father following him is like a vine attached to the branch attached, attached to the vine. Third picture. 
a shepherd and sheep. I love this illustration because um, sheep are dumb. Sheep um, can be easily led astray. Sheep um, follow their own appetites. That's really what gets them in trouble. And a sheep can get lost. And so the picture of a shepherd, a shepherd gave his life. He lived with the sheep. He provided for them. He protected them. If they got lost, he went and found them. If they were injured, he would put them on his shoulders and he would carry them. These are the pictures. And if your image of God is different than father, child, vine, branch, shepherd, sheep, then you do not understand the God of Jesus. This is what he revealed to us. And and maybe you need to make some changes in your idea of Jesus. Now, as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to find out that Jesus came back to over and over one specific word. It's where we got the name of our series, follow. And it may not mean what you think it means. The really surprising part of this, this invitation follow, is that Jesus invited every kind of person, rich person, poor person, religious, irreligious. It did not matter. If a person heard Jesus' voice, regardless of what they'd done in their past, it was an invitation to follow. And so what I think Jesus wants me to tell you today is if you can hear my voice, he is inviting you to follow. He's using me to extend that invitation. Well, to prove my point... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to one of the most despised people in the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 9, and what you need to understand is in verse 1, Jesus comes into a town. He says he comes to his hometown, which was his adopted hometown was Capernaum. He comes there, and they bring a paralyzed man before him. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Oh, that just made people crazy. And then Jesus said, I wanted you to know that I could forgive sins. And, and to back up my claim that I can forgive sins, he looks at the paralyzed man. He says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. The guy was healed, and people were like, wow, we've never seen anyone like this before. And crowds started following Jesus out of curiosity because they wanted to see what he was going to do next. And what I've discovered, if you follow Jesus in any at all, you discover that what Jesus does next is, is very unexpected, totally unexpected. And you'll figure out that almost all the time, Jesus does something that you don't expect him to do when you're following. Pick it up in verse 9. When Jesus was leaving, he was leaving, uh, healing the paralyzed man. He saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now, Matthew, it's the book of Matthew. This is Matthew's story. Matthew is the tax collector who's writing this book, the first book of the New Testament. And I started thinking about a way to help you understand how despised Matthew was based on his job choice, his profession. Uh, and I started thinking about maybe, maybe it's a drug dealer who hangs out behind um, the convenience store out next to the junior high and, and coaxes innocent kids to come and start trying drugs. Maybe it's a pimp or maybe it's a sex trafficker who goes and kidnaps innocent little girls and forces them to have sex with men. Something that turns your stomach, that causes you to get ill, maybe even taste a little bit of vomit in the back of your throat. That's what I want you to understand. That's how they looked at tax collectors in that day. Why? Well, Jewish tax collectors worked for Rome. Um, they, they were despised. They couldn't go to the temple um, because the, their profession made them unclean. They couldn't go to family gatherings. They couldn't go to parties because they were considered unclean. Their only friends were uh, outcasts. And so um, what would happen is Rome would auction off the opportunity to go and collect taxes in a certain area they controlled, like Judea. So they would auction it off, kind of like uh, when we do with the Super Bowl, you know, cities get this bid together. Hey, we'll give you so much. We'll do all of these extra perks. And if you'll give us the Super Bowl, we'll guarantee you get this minimum amount. Well, that's what we would do. We would auction that off. Rome would auction that off and we would bid and say, we'll give you this 
much. Rome wanted this much. They didn't care how much you got over that. And so they would auction the, the right off. And if you won, let's say I won, and they sent me to Judea or Elkhart, when I got to Elkhart to collect taxes so I could send them back to Rome, because I'm not from Elkhart, I would hire Matt Trim. I'd hire Michael Thatcher or Timmy Quick. Why? Because they live in Rome. So this is what the tax collector would do. They would, they would employ locals who knew where they lived because Matt and Timmy and, and uh, Thatcher, they know where you live. They know what you do for a living. They know how much money should be coming in. And so when they come walking up, it's not a social visit. They're coming to get the money that you owe them and Rome. And are you going to be happy to see them? No, it's not a social visit. They want my money. Close the door, act like we're not here. I know you're home, right? This is what would happen. So they looked at them. They had chosen Rome and money over family and faith. And so people despised them. Jesus walks up to one of those despised people in a port city. And, and I want you to understand there's all kinds of taxes. There's income taxes, there's wine taxes, there's property taxes, bridge taxes, port taxes. Jesus walks up to this despised Matthew in the port city and, and think of all the things he could have said to him when he walks up to him. Hey, Matt, I bet your mama's so proud. I bet she's proud of you. No, that's not what he said, right? What he said next was totally unexpected. Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, at this point, everybody knew Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi, but he had not chosen his students yet. A rabbi would choose students, and they were known by their students. When, when Jesus said, follow me to Matthew, everyone around knew exactly what he was doing. He was inviting Matthew to be his student, and they probably went, why him? Jesus, don't you know? Because in that day, a good rabbi would only choose people who were the best at playing Moses says. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. It was God's law. And if you were really good at God's law, playing the game, Moses says, then you could be chosen as a student. You would qualify. You would earn the right to be chosen. Jesus walks up to this guy who's not even, not only not good at playing Moses says, he's not even trying to play Moses says. He's out there doing his own thing. He's making money off of it and he's profiting off of people who are good people. And Jesus says, follow me. And so the people look at him and say, no, no, no. His profession, chosen profession, disqualifies him from following you. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And he stood up and he followed Jesus. This was not, let's go get a cup of coffee. That would have been scandalous. That would have been like, let's say that I go somewhere and, and the most notorious drug dealer in Palestine, did you know Doug went to cream and coffee? Look, I have a picture. Somebody posted it on Snapchat. Or, or a pimp or a sex trafficker. Did you know? That would be scandalous. Much more scandalous than that because Jesus is is inviting him to be a public follower, one of his students. It would be like me not only going to coffee with the pimp or the sex trafficker, it'd be like me choosing them to be the next pastor of New Life Community Church. Would that cause a stink? Yeah. It would mean when Jesus invited him to follow, it would mean that Matthew would have to stand up, leave his job, and identify with Jesus. It also means that Jesus would have to identify with Matthew. Now, Jesus did not say, Matt, if you're willing to blank, if you're willing to stop doing this, if you're willing to stop doing that, or if you're willing to say a few Hail Marys, a few uh, Our Fathers, and go through some, some confirmation class, Jesus didn't say, he didn't even say fill in the blank. He just said, come follow me. 
So the question then was not how religious are you? It's not how much Bible do you know? It's not how often do you go to church? Do you give? Do you pray? The question is, for them, for you, am I following? Now, this seems really, really simple. If it's too simple for you, this follow Jesus like I'm talking about, it was also too simple for the religious leaders of that day. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 10. As Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, stop, just stop. First of all, he, he chooses the pimp to be, you know, one of his students. Now he's going to his house? Uh, that's, that's too much. Because see, a good Jew, and there were good Jews that were following Jesus. They had questions. They were curious. They would go with him, but they couldn't go into his house. They weren't about to go into Matthew's house. Why? Because he had tax collector cooties, and they're contagious. And if you got tax collector cooties, you couldn't go to church and worship. You couldn't go to family gatherings. So they had to stay away. They had to shun him. Jesus just has this habit of going places that regular good people wouldn't go. You know, there's another time when Jesus was in Jericho and there was, a, there was the chief tax collector up in the tree, Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. Not just tax collector. Let's go even lower than that. Let's go to the chief tax collector's house. See, Jesus didn't care about his reputation, so here's what I want you to understand. The closer you are to God, the less you care about religious reputation. That's worth, the, that's worth the cost of admission right there. The closer you are to God, the less you care about your religious reputation. Look what happens. As Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, that's bad enough, it gets worse. How many tax collectors? many tax collectors and sinners. I love how the Bible has quotations around sinners. Sinners mean someone else who was disqualified from going to church or hanging out at, at family gatherings. But sinners, they had a list. And the lowest list that your daughter could marry, actually she couldn't even consider marrying a tax collector. That's how far they were down the list. A couple of notches above that were sinners. So it was actually a, offensive to sinners to be um, equated with tax collectors. They were offended. Don't, I may be a sinner, but I'm no tax collector. That's how bad it was. Matt's only friends were tax collectors and sinners, outcasts. And you have to see how awkward this is. The most religious people on the planet with the least religious people on the planet. And everybody's uncomfortable except Jesus. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable around people who were nothing like him. And evidently, people nothing like Jesus were very comfortable with Jesus. Now, if, if you're an outcast far from God and you feel uncomfortable here, that's our fault, not our Savior's fault. If this story were a movie, it'd be a Hallmark movie and it would end, everybody would be happy, there'd be no bad guys because God in heaven comes and hangs out with the lowest in society. But you know, there always has to be bad guys, right? And, and the bad guys that followed Jesus everywhere we went, they were religious people. And so... The Bible tells us that when the Pharisees, dun, 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 we need, we need dramatic bad people music when we say Pharisees. When the Pharisees, dun, 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 show up, their religious leaders, they were the paparazzi of their day, and they were taking notes. They didn't have cameras, but they would write stuff down. What's he doing now? He's disqualifying himself. He can't be, he's not following our rules. He cannot be a teacher. Now, in their defense, the Pharisees were supposed to examine new teachers to see if what they were teaching was true. But their problem was they were judging the new teachers based on their traditions, not the word of God. 
So when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' followers, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why, did they, why didn't they ask Jesus? Why did they ask his followers? Because remember, they're outside. The good Christian, I mean, the good Jews of that day, they couldn't go inside because of the cooties. So they're outside. They're not with Jesus. So why does your teacher hang out with tax collectors and sinners? They're, they're, despise, they're despising Jesus. But this is cool. Okay, so you need to understand that their houses probably didn't have windows. If they did, it was some kind of shelter thing may not have had uh, doors because they were it was a very hot climate and so they wanted to have good circulation in the house so look what it says next when Jesus heard them he heard them because they're right outside looking in why does Jesus when Jesus heard them he said it's not the healthy people who need a doctor but the sick imagine how Matthew feels he's in Matthew's house it's not the healthy people who need a doctor it's the sickos Matthew says, Jesus, you calling me sick? Jesus said, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course you're sick. And he goes, hey, guys, we're the sickos. They all smile, toast, high five. Yeah, we're the sick ones. Jesus came for us. I've come for the sick, right, Matt? And Matt's like, well, you know, Jesus, that's kind of offensive. But you know what? You're right. There's a point you need to take from this. Only people who are honest with themselves can ever follow Jesus. It may have been offensive, but he was telling them the truth and they knew it and they became followers and he changed their lives. Jesus is offending people. He's an equal opportunity offender. Look what he says next. But go and learn. So he's telling the people outside. He won't even come inside. But go and learn. He's talking to people. Their only job was to learn. What do you do for a living? I learn. Learn what? How to be good. And I'm really good. I follow the rules. I know the rules. And I'm so good. You should want to be me. Because all I do is study rules. Jesus says to those people, go and learn. I got, I got something for you, bucko. Go and learn this. What this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not calling you to follow the rules. I'm not content, Jesus is saying, to hang out with people who only believe the right things and say the right things. And so I don't want to be a part of a church who only believes the right things and says the right things and stops as if we've arrived. Not only does that bore me, it offends me to be that type of church because Jesus hung out with people far from God. How can we ever claim to follow him if we're not doing the same thing? It should be scandalous every time we open the doors because of who walks through. And the key to that is you and me. If we don't love people, they'll never meet the savior that we say we follow. It's not enough to believe right and behave right. It's not enough. People who only believe right and behave right become Pharisees. And they're on the outside looking in. They're missing Jesus. I don't want to be one of those. Here's the message that the Pharisees gave. Change and you can join us. I'm not going to be a part of a church like that. Because Jesus' message was totally opposite. Jesus said, join us and you'll change. 
Jesus looks at Matthew and he says, stand up. And by the way, you're going to your, we're going to your house today. And the Pharisees are like, wait, wait, he hadn't passed any of our tests. And Jesus says, your tests are not my tests. All the voices of that day and many voices today are saying, you need to change. You need to clean up before you can be a part of our group. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus, in a very calm voice, says to Matthew, and he's saying to you today, follow me and you will change. In fact, you're going to change so much that when you look back, you will not recognize yourself. People in your family and group of friends will not recognize you because you're not the same person. People all the time, I've heard this just this week, the old me would do that. I just love that. Not the new me because I'm a follower. People will notice the change and they'll notice that you couldn't do it on your own. There has to be some power greater than you living inside of you. How do you do it? I've been crucified with Christ and there's no longer I who live, but Christ lives, with, lives within me. And the life I la- now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not me, you see. And people come into the kingdom. It's not because you believe the right thing. It's not because you behave the right way. It's deeper than that. You followed Jesus, and because you followed, he changed you. So as we start this journey, there's four things about following I want you to take with you. First one is being a sinner does not disqualify you from following. It is a prerequisite. I don't know if you remember what a prerequisite is. I remember in college when I'd try to sign up for a class. Ha ha, you didn't take this one, sucker. Too bad. You got to wait until you take this class. There's something that happens first. You must be a sinner in order to follow Jesus. Every person he ever invited and every person who ever said yes was a sinner. The only people who didn't follow Jesus were the people who thought they were already perfect because they believed right and they behaved right. The less perfect a person was, the more they were a candidate to follow Jesus. Matthew was the lowest person in society, and I don't think it's an accident that Jesus starts with him. So what that tells us is there is no habit. There is no addiction. There is no relationship. I don't care what you've done, how recently you've done it, that does not disqualify you from following Jesus. But you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know. It's not my party. It's Jesus' party. Jesus knows, and he's the one that invites you. Number two, being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from following. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you. None of Jesus' earliest followers believed. In fact, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover that, that at one point it said, Jesus did this two years into his ministry with these followers. Jesus did this, and then they believed. What have they been doing for two years? Not believing. Some of them did not believe until he was resurrected from the dead. Jesus constantly rebuked them for their unbelief. And one of them was such a professional unbeliever, he got a nickname. We call him Doubting Thomas. One time, Jesus, before he was going to be crucified, he said, Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And Thomas is like, might as well go and die with him. We've already spent three years. Might as well die. When Jesus shows up after he's been resurrected from the dead, Thomas isn't there. And so they run and tell Thomas, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And Thomas is like, I don't know. It could be a trick. He says, unless I see the nail scars in his hands, and where the spear went into his side, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus shows up another time. Sure enough, Tommy's there. 
And Jesus does not go, hey, Tom, Tom, because you didn't believe, you're out of my club. You know what he said? He said, Thomas, check out the scars. And the Bible says Thomas believed. He didn't doubt anymore. When you see a dead man walking, it changes you. And Jesus said, blessed are the people who didn't have to see my resurrection and believe. How much faith did it take for Thomas to believe after Jesus was walking around again? Little. Doesn't matter how little faith you have or no faith at all, Jesus invites you to follow. And if you'll just say, God, in 2018, I'm going to follow you, doubts and all, Jesus will take that and I'm going to promise you something. He's going to surprise you in a very real, very personal way as you begin to follow. Number three, the invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. How many of you in here are married? How many of those who are married had your marriage arranged by someone? No one? Okay, then how did you decide you were going to marry that person? They captured your attention, you know. Hey, look at there, right? I mean, you know when people are flirting. But that's not enough. What happened? Why, why did you say I do? You spent time with them and eventually you fall in love with them. Love changes us. <laughs> Jesus isn't inviting you to follow the rules. He's not inviting you to the Ten Commandments. He's not even inviting you to obey God. Obedience is important. But, but if you and your spouse followed all the rules for great relationships, would that guarantee you have a great relationship? No, because rules don't make a relationship. Love does. And when you love someone, you want to be with them. And when you spend time with, you, with them, it rearranges the activities in your calendar because you love them. If you start loving Jesus, you'll start doing things differently. Not because you're behaving right or you're believing right, but because you're spending time with him. Relationship with Jesus changes the way you act. And in fact, the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, it's your kindness. He's talking to God. He says, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. He didn't say it's your power. He didn't say it's your holiness. He said, it's your kindness, God, that makes me want to even repent and get near you. You can't experience someone's kindness unless you're in the vicinity God wants you to be in his vicinity so you can experience this. Number four, following forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. When I'm focused on following Jesus, I don't, I don't have time to judge you. If you've been turned off by the way Christians have treated you, I bet they've taken their eyes off of Jesus. And if you were to say to them, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah. Where is he? I don't know. He's so far away from them that they wouldn't recognize him if he walked right by. The more conscious I am of the work God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has yet to do in you. And this statement right here, this is what distinguishes a church that is following from one who is just talking, flapping their lips. And all the forces of hell will come against us to make sure we're not one of these because one of these leads people into the kingdom of God. 
So the question is, am I following? Not do I pray well, not how much I know. Am I following currently, right now? You are someone. Is it Jesus? I'm going to play a song that's going to become our um, theme song for this series. And I'm just going to play a portion of it. Um, Don't have time to play it all today, but the band eventually is going to learn this. But I want you to hear this song, and I want you to ask yourself, am I following? Is there evidence that I am following Jesus?